These sermons are recorded for quality assurance. It's a joke. Don't laugh. I don't know. That's outlawed around here. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from uh, 1 John, the the third chapter, verses 11 through 17. And then we're going to uh, skip to uh, verses, uh, the fourth chapter, verses 7 through 12. Hear now the word of our Lord. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. (coughs) Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that a murderer has no eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. I know what's happening. I'm directionally challenged. You were just going to sit there and let me do that. <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. I got it. I got it. I believe in me. Um, okay. I'm nervous. Are you all nervous? Ah, you're probably not as nervous as I am, but you might be a little bit nervous, right? I've got the whole new preacher, like, um, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm too long-winded? Are they going to think I'm boring? And all that kind of stuff. And you all probably have a little bit of, who's the new guy? You know, we got a good thing going here. Is he going to come in and ruin it all, right? There's got to be a little bit of that going on. 
I wish I could tell you that I spent like all this uh, this this time this week, you know, struggling what I was going to preach about. I was really struggling what I was going to preach about. But that would be a lie. I, I pretty much knew for a couple of weeks what I was going to preach about. That's because um, that's because I really only have one sermon. I've just got one. Now y'all getting nervous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll use different scripture passages and tell you different points and, and try to tell you different stories. But I've got one sermon, one thing that I'm all about. One message that I'm here to proclaim. The prophet Jeremiah says the word of God is like a fire in his heart. Like a fire shut up in my bones, he says. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And I think most preachers have, have that, that, that word shut up in their heart. That, that one thing that they're, they, they feel like to put on this earth to say. And, 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 and if they don't get in front of people and say it soon, they're going to wear themselves out thinking about it and worrying about it. Um, I, I think for um, the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther, that one sermon, that one word he had was, was summed up in, in that verse from Romans. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. I think if you think of, of John Wesley, his one sermon was probably uh, from, from the book of Mark, where, where Jesus says to his disciples, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Billy Graham, his one sermon, what he said was, the gospel in a nutshell, was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, have everlasting life. Oh, he, he, he preached from different passages. He told different stories, made different points, but all went back to that. That was this one message, shut up like a fire in his bones. I believe every preacher probably has one sermon in him that you can't wait to get in front of people and share. We read a, 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 a two passages from uh, the letter of, of 1 John, from John the Apostle to one of his churches. And in these two short little passages, he says this phrase four times. And I believe this is John's one sermon, love one another. It's something that, uh, that he heard Jesus say. He records it in his gospel. Uh, see, John uh, didn't have a Bible. He wasn't able to highlight this in his Bible. But he heard Jesus speak it. And, and, and it was on the night in which he was betrayed, he had just got done washing his disciples' feet. And he said to them, a new command I give you. Love one another. And this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. That you love one another as I have loved you. For John, this is the whole message. This is what he's about. This is, this is, this is the fire that's shut up in his bones. And if, if you read all of John's writings, this, it's like a chorus again and again and again. He tells the people, love one another. I believe that's his one sermon. At the beginning of our passage this morning, he said, this, 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 is, a, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. Love one another. In other words, this is what I've been telling y'all all along. 
from the first time I ever opened up my mouth to you all, I've been telling you, love one another. There's a, there's a legend about the Apostle John that is an old Christian legend that when he was on his deathbed and he was surrounded by, uh, by, by his family and friends, his last words to them were, love one another. That was his message. That was a fire that was shut up in his bones. Love one another. In our passage this morning, he said, this is how you know that you have moved from death to life. That you love one another. This, this, this is how you know you are marked by God. That you love one another. It says, hatred is a sign that you belong to the evil one. Hatred is a sign that you belong to the world. But love is a sign that you belong to Jesus. You love one another. And then he says something incredible. God is love. Now some of y'all are getting nervous. I don't know. Here it is. God is one of those hippy-dippy God is love pastors. Be wearing tie-dye, serving magic brownies, calling the DS right now. This is not going to work. I get it. Like, when, when I invite people to church and they say, I don't believe in organized religion. Love is my religion, man. I get it. I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't know what that means. When I hear God is love, I've always found that to be a confusing phrase. What do we mean when we say God is love? Stick a pen in that for a second. Um, my oldest daughter, Nora Grace, is going into high school. Um, at first I forbade it, then I begged her, I pleaded with her not to become a teenager, and she did it anyway. Because teenagers are rebellious. And uh, as part of moving, you know, you're packing up everything you belong and you're putting it into boxes and you just discover stuff you haven't looked at in a while. And, and, and we were moving and I discovered all of these photographs. These photographs of Nora when, from when she was a toddler. And I'm not going to do anything embarrassing like, like show a photograph of Nora from when she was a toddler. Okay, maybe just one. Uh, <laughs> this, this is Nora Grace the, the morning we saw the ocean for the first time. I remember it so vividly because we had just moved to North Carolina and we were just three hours from the ocean. And so we got up really early one morning to go look at the ocean. And, uh, and, and I remember we got there and it was perfect. Like this, the sky was kind of that, that, that twilight blue-gray. It was a cool breeze that we could use in here right now, right? Um, there, there was a, there, the sea oats, if you, any of you have ever been to the Outer Banks, those sea oats, those wild sea oats were just kind of drifting back and forth. And we were standing there in front of the ocean. And no matter how many times you've seen it, if it's been a while and you're looking at ocean, you just kind of take it in. And it stretches out in every direction as far as the eye can see. And, 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 and I remember we were looking at the ocean, Nora and I, and, and Nora uh, stood next to me as we took it in. And she said, Daddy, the ocean is big. She wasn't wrong. 
The ocean is big and wet, right? But somehow, when you're, when, when, when you're staring at it, and, and it's taking up, you know, uh, uh, every direction as far as you can see, big just doesn't quite contain it, does it? Big seems like almost too small a word, doesn't it? Big, when describing the ocean, when describing this thing that, that's, uh, that, that seems almost living and breathing as it inhales and exhales, as the wave crash against the shore, this teeming with, with all kinds of life that we've not even discovered yet, that touches every continent, that, that, uh, of every place on this thing we call Earth, and to, and to look at it and to realize that we're only looking at a small fraction of it. And it still overwhelms us. Big just seems too small a word, doesn't it? That's the way I feel about love. To say God is love. To me, that's always like saying the ocean is big. It's true. Maybe I defy you to come up with a better word, but it doesn't quite capture it, does it? That, that word doesn't quite contain what God is in his relationship to his people. His, his deep affection for every, uh, every molecule that makes up our universe, every cell that makes up this, this thing that he calls life. And whatever it is that makes up our souls. To say God is love. That somehow in his affection he holds all that together just seems like too small a word. After all, most of us can't agree what the word love means, can we? But the dictionary says it's, it's a deep feeling of affection that one person has for another. It's feeling. Uh, e. Harmony says that love is more like compatibility, that you can line people up like dominoes. And if you took my traits and your traits and everyone's traits and, and we just put them all in a computer program, we could figure out who's supposed to love who. Scientists tell us that, that love is a chain reaction, a chemical reaction in the brain. It's a product of, 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 of millions of years of, 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 of evolution that our, our, our drive to reproduce ourselves and to feel secure combined somehow and make this thing called love. And when you hear it described that way, it just seems like too small a word, doesn't it? Say God is love. The word um, that that John uses for love is agape. Uh, he, he, he uses the word love like 33 times in his letter. And it's just like six chapters. It tells you it's important, doesn't it? He uses it 33 times, and each time he uses this Greek word agape. See, in Greek, there are four words for love. There's one called storge, and storge is the love of things familiar, like coffee or ice cream or the Cincinnati Reds or whatever it is for you. And then there's this word called philo. And philo uh, is this, this word for friendship, love, brotherly love. Then there's eros. Eros is when a man loves a woman. Can't keep his mind on nothing else. Right? It's that kind of love. And then they've got this fourth word for love in Greek. It's called agape. And agape is this just because love. Just because 
I decided to. And the Romans didn't think much of this love, and they thought like it was the, the worst, the lowest on the love ladder. But the early church took this love, and they, this, this word, and they claimed it. They said, this is what God is like. His love is unconditional. It's not based on what the other person can, can do for him. He just loves because that's who he is. Because God gives away love like the sun gives away light. God is love. They claim this word agape, but even agape is not a perfect word. In Hebrew, there's this word hesed. Hesed is probably one of the most important words in the Bible and the most difficult to translate. It describes God's covenant love for his people. Sometimes it's translated as compassion. Sometimes it's translated as loyalty. Sometimes it's translated as faithfulness. My favorite translation is loving kindness. All of those go back to this word, hesed. Difficult to translate, but all of that encompasses God's love toward his people. And even that is too small a word. When God reveals himself to, to Moses on Mount Sinai in the burning bush, he says, I am that I am. I am Period. There's no way to describe the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the love of God. It's an ocean that is too deep and too vast for, for us to really adequately understand, let alone explain. It will not fit in this wrinkly muscle between our ears. Which would be fine and dandy if, uh, if all we had to do in life was was go out and live in a cabin somewhere and, 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 and sit in a rocking chair and contemplate the mystery of God's love. We could just do it forever. We could just walk along the shore of God's love and contemplate the ocean. But here's the problem. Love one another. Somehow, we're supposed to take this this hard to understand concept. Somehow we're supposed to take this ocean we call God's love and we're somehow supposed to do that and be that for each other. That's the problem. Somehow we're supposed to take that we're supposed to take the ocean of God's love and somehow we're supposed to fit it in a cup and go to a thirsty world and say, here brother, have a drink. Here, sister, water that will not run dry. Somehow we're supposed to take all of that that we can't fathom, that we can't understand, and be that to others. And I would submit to you that, that, that our basic trouble as human beings, as individuals and as a world, is that we know we're supposed to love, and yet we're unable to do it. We're unable to show love because we're unable to know love. That's our basic problem. It's the reason uh, North Korea is stockpiling nuclear weapons. And it's the reason you yell at your kids for no reason. It's the reason Israel, Israel and Palestine can't share a country. And it's the reason some parents can't share a house. 
because we know we're supposed to show love and we don't know love and so we're not able to show love and it's this problem we call the human condition. Want to know what my one sermon is? You want to know what what the fire is that can shut up in my bones that that I just have to get out? You want to know what the Bible verse is that, that just sums up what I'm all about? It's this. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Friends, to me, that, that's the whole message right there. That's the gospel right there. That we can know love through Jesus Christ. That we can know love because some 30 odd years ago, uh, uh, for some 30 odd years, 2,000 years ago, the whole ocean of God's love was contained in a very human cup called Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ walked among us and lived among us. And that to know love is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know love. And there's no shortcut. No preacher can preach you. No teacher can teach you. No experience of life can show you. You have to to stand in a marble archway. As Jesus is being whipped. And spit on. And mocked and ridiculed and beaten. And they're placing that crown of thorns on his his head and the blood starts to pour. You have to be standing out there in the crowd as they're they're riled up. And they begin to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And then you've got to walk that long dusty road behind him. Where the women are wailing. The disciples are hiding their faces and he's dragging those beams of wood leaving a long track and drops of red all the way to Calvary. And then you might be tempted to look away as they drive those spikes through his wrist. Don't. Watch as he's raised up on that cross. Naked, bloody, despised. And then when he looks at you and me and everybody out in that crowd, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Then, and only then, do you know love. Then, and only then, do you see the ocean of God's love contained in a cup that is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's a tragic story, isn't it? The lengths Jesus had to go to to show us the ocean of God's love. Well, he had to give up for us to know God's love. It's a tragic story. That's not where the story ends, is it? 
See, they took, they took that entire ocean of love and, 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 and they, they put it in a hole in the ground. And then they rolled a stone over it and they said, there, that'll hold it back. And it did for maybe three days. And then the ground began to shake. And then the earth began to tremble. And then the stone was rolled away and the ocean of love came flooding out like a dam bursting. And Jesus stood there in the mouth of the tomb in resurrection victory and resurrection power. And because of that, you and I can have that same power at work in our hearts. Because of that, we now have the power to love as Jesus loved. We now have the ability to lay down our lives as Jesus laid down this life. We can show love through that resurrection power. And we know love through what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the message. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's my one sermon. That's what I got. Come back next week. That's what I'm going to share with you again. I'll use a different passage. Make different points. Tell different stories. But that's my sermon. That's the fire that shut up in my bones. If you're looking for someone to come in here and do anything else but tell you the gospel, looking for someone to come in here and tell you how to vote or how long your skirt has to be or how big a check you got to write to feel God's blessings in your life, I'm not your guy. But if you're coming here this morning thirsty, thirsty for living water, and you want to hear that old, old story of Jesus and his love. Well, friends, I believe that ocean is big. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.